copy of God's Word, turn with me to the book of James, chapter 1. Today we'll be in verses 16 through 25. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruit amongst His creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful this morning for your word. Lord, these words written some... 2,000 years ago, give or take a few years. Lord, we're meant for us here today on October 21st, 2018. It is my prayer this morning, Lord, that we as a congregation will listen intently to your word. Lord, I pray that you move the enemy aside. Take all distractions out of our mind, Lord. Bless us in your word in a way only you can do. Our sermon today is meant to challenge you and to encourage you. It will probably step on a few toes because it has stepped on mine since I began studying this. It is meant to reform us to make us more like Christ. I want, it, I want us to inspect our lives as we go through this passage today. Balance it, your life, to God's Word. And then we simply make adjustments to our lives according to God's Word as the Holy Spirit leads us. In studying this, I got to thinking about the characteristics of a believer, of a follower of Christ. And there are many characteristics of believers of Christ. But there are three that really stood out to me. And I call it PED, not performance-enhancing drugs, but prayer, evangelism, and discipleship. And as we go through this passage today, I want us to think about our lives as believers and what's going on in our prayer life, what's going on with our evangelistic life, what's going on in discipleship, whether you be discipling or be the disciplee. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 tells us, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. See, we're commanded in Scripture to be a praying people. Matthew 28 says, as we all should know, Jesus himself says, Go, make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we're commanded in Scripture to be evangelizing, to be telling people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're a believer in a follower of Christ, you are not exempt from this requirement. And then discipleship goes both directions. If you're a believer, you should be engaged in discipleship. Maybe it's you that needs discipling. I need discipling. Let me assure you, you do too. But we should also be discipling others. Second Timothy says we should present ourselves approved rightly handling the Word of God. Do we know how to handle the Word of God? 
So as we go through this passage today, I want us to be thinking about these things. I'm going to bring them up constantly. Prayer, evangelism, discipleship. And let the Spirit speak to us. We begin in verse 16. It says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. I have a passion plea for you this morning. Listen to verse 16. There is so much deception in this world. This week, actually a couple weeks ago at work, I got a letter. The letter was directed to me. It came from a law firm. This law firm was out of London. Apparently, I have a long-lost relative that I wasn't aware of. And this relative had a $12 million estate. And this law firm out of London is holding the resources of this $12 million. And I'm apparently the only relative in the line. They've done all the work, according to what they said. And all I have to do is share some personal information with them. My social security number, my bank account number, all this stuff. And they're going to give me 75% of that. Sounds like a good deal. But it doesn't take a genius to realize that's just mere deception. They're trying to deceive me to steal stuff from me. So that they can take away what I do have. That sounds a little bit like a silly example in some aspects it is. But people fall for these things. And that's an obvious one. Let me, be, let me assure you that the enemy who's working against you to destroy your prayer life, destroy your ability to evangelize, to destroy your discipleship programs, he's much craftier. And he's coming at you with crafty deceptions. See, there's two things going on in your mind as a believer. You're being guided by the Holy Spirit that indwells in you but you're also being influenced by your own sinful desires in the enemy. And he's going to attack you through your thoughts, whether it's questioning your belief, questioning absolute truth. Does the Bible really mean that? Does that sound like the Garden of Eden? Remember this question the devil brought up? Is that really what God means? He's going to try to deceive us with these thoughts. Your own sinful desires of the human flesh. Let me be honest. We all struggle with it. I struggle with desires of the flesh. Being lazy not being in God's Word. He wants to destroy you through these things, and He will use other people. So James tells us here, do not be be deceived, my beloved brothers. He's warning us from from the beginning. Be aware, deception is coming. 1 John 3, 7 says, Little children, let no one deceive you. There are others that want to deceive you. The enemy will work through them. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He doesn't rest. He wants to destroy your prayer life. He wants to destroy your ability to share the gospel. And he wants to destroy any discipleship that you're in. We see in verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow Due to change. See, God is not responsible. Listen to me. God is not responsible for the temptations of sin that we have every single day, that we have every single hour. He is not responsible for the temptations to sin. But He is responsible, on the contrary, for every good gift that we have. I look across here this morning and I see gifts abundantly. I see the gift of going on permanent mission field giving up life to do that. I see temporary missionaries. I see hospitality. I see all kinds of gifts that God has given this church body. And the thing is, He's given them to us. And they're not of our own doing. These are things God has given us. 
We all have these gifts. And I'm comforted in this verse to see here that God does not change. He says, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Let's stop for a moment and think about the implications of that. What if God changed? He could retract His Holy Spirit. He could change the plan of salvation. I'm just going to stop there because we're in trouble if God changes. But the verse here tells us, with whom there is no variation or no shadow due to change. And since we know He does not change, and the Bible promises us that we've been gifted with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit indwells in us, then we know we have the capability of not being deceived and overcoming sin. This should drive us in confidence into our prayer life, knowing that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. It's been given to us. God does not change. He's not taking it back. The Holy Spirit will not leave you if you believe and repent and trust on the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you struggle with evangelism? I do at times. Those thoughts come into my mind. This is not the right time. I shouldn't share right now. It's not appropriate to share the gospel right now. Guess what? The Holy Spirit is able to overcome that if we trust in the Spirit and what the Word of God says. In discipleship, when I get lazy, when I think, I need to be discipled. I need to ask someone to meet with me on a weekly basis so we can learn the Word of God together. That's going to require sacrifice. I'm going to be lazy. That's the enemy saying, don't do this. But the Spirit is able to overcome that if we trust it. We see good news in verse 18. Of His own will He brought us forth by the Word of God, that we should be a kind of first fruits amongst His creatures. Verse 18 confirms three things to us. One, we have been brought forth, changed by His will. Do you believe in Christ today? Good. But you didn't do it. He brought you forth. And He's given you these things so you may serve Him and glorify His name. Verse 18 also tells us it was His will. In His power, the gospel is the power of salvation. God did this. And it was completed through the Word of God. It's a wonderful thing if you're here and you're a believer. I rejoice in that. It makes me happy deeply. But why? Why are you a believer? Why did God choose to do this? All for the purpose of His will. He says here in this verse that you are a kind of first fruit of the creatures. See, He was writing this to the early Jewish believers. And they understood what a first fruit was. Most, many of us may not. A first fruit was the first batch of the harvest that came in. It tended sometimes to be the best. And they were required to sacrifice these first fruits to God. It was also indicative of the rest of the harvest to come. So if there was a good first fruit crop, it was a good sign that there was more to come. And he's telling the believers here, he's saying, you're the first fruit. You're the first batch of believers. You're that first luscious apple that's come off the tree. And there's more to come. And, and today, church, we still are the first fruit because there's more to come. The kingdom is not complete yet. And that's why I want us to concentrate through this passage on our prayer and our evangelism and our discipleship because there's more fruits to come and there's an even greater kingdom to come beyond this world. Let's look at verses 19 and 20. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, 
slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. If we know these things, if we hold them dear to our heart in, this, in verses 16 through 18, don't be deceived. Your gifts are from the Lord. He does not change. You were brought forth by His Word. You're a first fruit. If we know that, that then drives us into action. He says here three things that we as believers should do. We should be quick to hear. We should be slow to speak. We should be slow to anger. Why quick to hear? Proverbs 17, 28 gives a warning that I want, every, I want us all to absorb this morning. It says, Even a fool keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. There's a difference in being quiet and not speaking and truly listening. Quick to hear means listen. Whether it be the teaching of God's Word or interactions with others on a daily basis. And when we're quick to hear and we're listening to others, we tend to be slow to speak. Why does he say slow to speak? I've been that guy. You've been that guy that engages in a conversation and you're dying to get the next word in. You've got a thought that is so important to the conversation that you totally forget what the other guy's saying. I had a conversation this week at a speaking engagement with an individual. And I mean, it was a battle of words. We were both dying to get the next word in. And you've been that guy and you've been in this conversation. When it comes to evangelism and discipleship, we need to be quick to hear. We need to be slow to speak because when we are speaking, it's hard for us to listen. During this conversation I was having, I realized halfway through it that I had no idea what he was saying and I was pretty confident he had no idea what I was saying because we were just speaking at each other. The Bible warns us to be slow to speak. This correlates to our discipleship and when we are attempting to evangelize others. And then it warns us to be slow to anger. Anger is an extremely intoxicating sin. I understand here why he says quick to hear, slow to speak. That's in our communication. But why slow to anger? Why slow to anger? See, we did a study a couple years ago in one of our community groups about the seven deadly sins, and anger was one of them. It was very eye-opening to me because for the first time I realized what anger is, it's an adulterated version of love. You don't get angry at something you don't love, something that's not dear to your heart. Those things don't bother you. An example, if there was some atrocity to a child in one of the jungles of Southeast Asia, you might think, well, that's terrible. That's an awful thing. Does it make you angry? Does it really get at your soul? But if an atrocity happened to one of our children here in this church, that would that'd get you. It would make you mad. When things that we love are compromised, we get angry. And a lot of times when we have one-on-one conversations with people in discipleship, especially with evangelism, they're going to say things that rub you the wrong way. They're going to say insulting things. And we may get angry. He tells us here to be slow to anger. Why? Because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It's hard for us to have righteous anger, and that's another sermon we'll say for another day. There is a such thing as righteous anger, but it's very hard for us to hold on to righteous anger. Our righteous anger oftentimes turns into unrighteous anger, and it can be a sign of true selfishness. It's a sign of self above others. 
And if we're actively engaged in prayer, if we're actively engaged in evangelism and discipleship, our concern should be for the other person, not for us. Evangelism and discipleship is about others growing and coming to know the Lord. And when we become unrighteously angry, it does not produce any righteousness of God. John 8.31 tells us, if you, imbibe, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. As believers, we should have an affection for the word of God. We should love this. I read it this morning, and I think about anger, where it pops up in my life, and how it affects my life. I come in interaction with people I don't like. They make me angry all the time. Not once does evangelism, the fact that they need the gospel, go through my brain. I set it aside. Why? Because I'm more angry. I'm more concerned about myself and where I've been wrong than telling this person the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we should meditate on these commands daily in your interactions this week. Quick to hear. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. Verse 21 says, Therefore... Put away all filthiness, rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Before we were born again, we know this, our hearts were full of wickedness. We're still getting a lot of that out. We're being sanctified slowly through the word of God. But we were full of wickedness. And after we were born again, the word was implanted in us. One of the commentaries I used in study used an example of oxygen. The implanted word that we're talking about here is like oxygen. On your first day of life, when you first came out of the womb, you took a big breath of oxygen in, and oxygen was implanted into your body. Were you done? Were you done bringing in oxygen? People that need a pacemaker get a little device and it gets put in to regulate their heart, and it's a one-time implant. Well, the implanted word of God we're talking about here is not a pacemaker. It's not a one-time thing. We take that breath of oxygen in, but we need more oxygen. If you just take one breath as a child, you're going to have a short life. Well, the implanted word here is like oxygen. It's in us. We receive it with humility, knowing that only God can work through us. Only God can do work in us through His Word. And we must continually be replenishing it. So I think about prayer. When I pray, do I open the Word of God? Do I read a passage? Do I pray? Or does my prayer life sound like this? Lord, here's my laundry list. I need this. More like a, a list of Santa Claus. When I evangelize, am I allowing the Word of God to speak through me? Here's a hint. If you want to tell somebody the gospel, use the Bible. It's very effective. It's very good. It makes it a lot easier too. And what about discipleship? Am I implanting that Word of God on a daily basis? Who are we meeting with? Who are we seeking out for discipleship? Or who do we want to disciple us? It's a two-way street. The back part of verse 21 says, Receive with meekness this implanted word. It's able to save your souls. It's the word of God that saved us. We know this. It is the word of God that will save the rest of God's kingdom. Whatever timeline he chooses that to be. Six minutes, 6,000 years. In verse 22 kind of the pinnacle of this sermon. It says, But be doers of the word, not only hearers, deceiving yourself. I love the corporate gathering of our body. I love this. This is good. 
But I want to say something this morning that might rub you a little strange to begin with. There is danger in our corporate gatherings. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that corporate gatherings bad. In fact, this is absolutely necessary for believers. But going back to my oxygen example, the body needs oxygen to live, right? Is that all the body needs? And see, I'm afraid in cultural America, in the Bible Belt, we have a lot of believers that all they're doing is breathing oxygen. They're missing the rest of life. Corporate church is good, necessary. We need this on a weekly basis. We need to be here hearing the Word of God being preached. Brothers and sisters holding us accountable. But it can't stop here. It has to go beyond these doors. See, the Christian life was never meant to be solo or within these doors. There's a danger in the complacency that a lot of believers are stuck in. We come to church, we read the Word, we amen and we yes it, we pray together. How you doing? Good. How about you? Can I pray for you? We do a lot of church stuff here within these walls. And then we walk out of these doors. What's going on? How's your prayer life? How's your evangelism? How's your discipleship outside these doors? I had an incident recently. I coach, do some training in basketball and was in a conversation with a parent who I've known for two years. And she said, you're a pharmacist? And I said, yeah, by trade I'm a pharmacist. She said, well, I didn't know that. I thought, well, that's strange. I thought, thought she knew, you know. Later on, I got to think about it, and I thought, why didn't she know I was a pharmacist? And then it struck me. She's never seen me be a pharmacist. All she knew was basketball. So my question today is when you go out into the world, if you said, I'm a believer, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, are people going to go, I know because I see you doing that on a daily basis? Or are they going to say, really, you are? I've never seen that before. See, that cuts at my soul because I'm casting that upon you today, but I'm throwing it upon myself just as much. So we need to be careful that we don't use corporate gathering of, of the church as a crutch to make us feel like we're doing all that we need to be doing as believers, but leaving it here on these grounds. The Word is clear. We must do the Word. Nike gets a lot of positive and negative press but they've got the best slogan ever in just do it. And that's what we have to do. He says here, be doers of the word, not only hearers, because if you're hearers only, you're deceiving yourself. When it comes to evangelism and discipleship, a lot of people struggle with this and they say, how am I supposed to get started? What am I supposed to do? The Bible says I need to be doing this. What do I do? Here's a hint. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. How did He interact with individuals? There's a lot of scripture in the Bible about who Christ interacted with. I think of the Sermon on the Mount. He spoke to large groups. But more often than not, what God decided to put in His Holy Word with Christ was individual interactions. There's over 40 individual interactions of Christ with others. Think about your life. Some of you get the opportunity, but how many people get to stand up before a crowd on a daily basis? Now think about how many one-on-one -on -one opportunities we have with people. I dare say you have a hundred a week minimum where we can be speaking gospel truth. We can be encouraging into discipleship. We can simply be praying for others. 
And we look at these one-on-one interactions that Christ had. And in almost every one of them, this over 40, the first thing He did is He looked for the need. Whether it be the woman at the well, whether it be the lame man, the rich young ruler. When He interacted with these individuals, He saw their need first and He listened. And then He asked questions, open-ended questions. Questions He knew the answer to. So wise. And then He engaged He sacrificed His personal time on this earth to engage with these individuals. Gives us the roadmap on how to evangelize. And where was Christ's interaction with others? Was it all all here in the church? Does the Bible say, go to church, preach the gospel, and then go live your life? No. Overwhelmingly, the majority of His interactions were either in the homes or in the work environment or just in social atmosphere of the day. Where do you spend the majority of your time? I'm going to go ahead and tell you. It's at work, it's at home, or the social environments of the day. Christ has given us the roadmap on how to evangelize and disciple as long as we are being doers of the Word, taking it beyond these doors. So emulate Christ. Take it beyond these doors. Because if we don't... Let's look at verses 23 and 24. It says, For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer... He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. I love to use sports analogies. i got kids that play sports. I always do this. And my speaking engagements, I'm always using these. We had a football game the other day. We had a little child, and I'm going to call the child Joe. Joe is not in this building at the moment. But little Joe had not got the football much recently. And I said, Joe... We're going to get you the football this time. This is what I need you to do. We're going to snap it to the quarterback, running back on the left. We're going to fake it. So I think it's going to this running back. And then we're going to give you the ball, and I want you to run up the left side. You got this? Joe looked at me and said, mm-hmm, got it. So I stepped back behind the huddle, and we snapped the ball, and we faked the handoff, and we go to hand it to Joe, and Joe's way over here. And the play broke down. It's a disaster. Get back in the huddle, and I look at Joe, and I said, Joe, why were you over there? Joe said, I forgot. I said, let's do it again, Joe. Same thing. We're going to do the same thing. You you understand. You're to get the football and go this direction. Shorten the story. Exact same thing happened. Joe came back. I said, Joe, what are you doing? I forgot where to go. Funny story. Some aspects. Joe is no different than if we're not doers of the word beyond this building. We are just like Joe. See, Joe was completely ineffective for our football team at that moment. We lost two plays. It was now third and 38. I don't know what the down was, but um, it wasn't advantageous for our team. And if we're not out doing the Word of God, we're Joe. We're ineffective for the kingdom. We're off running in who knows where when we're supposed to have the ball and be running up the left side. So my plea to you this morning is recognize this and the potential that we all face in allowing our corporate fellowship to give us a, a safety blanket. You know, our kids have little blankets a lot of times. That, that's their safety blanket. Love the church. We need the church. But live as Christians beyond the, the doors here. Because we don't want to be like the man who looks intently at his natural face and then as soon as he goes away forgets what he's supposed to be doing. And I love how we finish this today in verse, verse 25. 
we're going to end it with a promise. It's always good to end with a promise from God because if you remember back earlier in the passage, God doesn't change. So if He promises something, He's going to keep it. Verse 25 says, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The first thing this verse implies is that we must be in God's Word, looking into the perfect law, looking into the law of liberty. The verb that was used here in this passage actually means to inspect as close as you possibly can. Get the best look at it as you can. It's the same verb Luke used when he talked about Peter examining Christ's tomb after the resurrection. Imagine Peter walking into the tomb after Christ's resurrection. You're going to be checking the place out. He knew what Christ was going to do, but I mean, I'm checking it out. I want to see what happened here. So he's saying here, look deeply. The one who looks into the perfect law, examines it closely, looks at the Word of God. And then what? Being no hearer, you can stay here today and hear this sermon. You can be in Sunday school. You can read your Bible and hear it. But being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. If you're a doer who acts, if you read the Word of God and you do what the Word of God says, what does He promise? This person will be blessed in His doing. What does that mean? Your best life now? No, that does not mean what... That's not what He means here. The blessing will come in these three things I'm talking about. What about your prayer life? How will He bless you in your prayer life? Well, He may answer your prayer. Or He may change your perspective. God, I want to go on the mission field. I'll grant that to you. God, I want to go on the mission field, but I want to be there in three months. And you pray about that, and it doesn't happen. And you realize, God's will here, my will, not so much. He'll change you through prayer. He will bless you if you're doing the acts that He requires in Scripture. He will bless you through evangelism. How? People will be saved. See, listen believers, you must communicate the gospel for people to be saved. And if you communicate the gospel enough, I promise you people will be saved from hell. The kingdom will grow. God will be glorified. Our church will grow. Our church will have more manpower to send people on the field. We'll have more manpower to go visit the Teagues. We'll have more manpower to go visit other people that we support. God will bless us through our evangelism if we're doing it. And then finally, discipleship. You and others will grow to be more like Christ. I recently went on a trip. Many of you know about I saw discipleship in action. We were doing what God asked us to do. And I saw people grow to be more like Jesus. And guys, there's not much more joy in this world than that. That's what we want. Do you want to be more like Jesus? Do the Word. Be doers of the Word. It's real simple. It's such a simple formula. Trust the Holy Spirit to overcome your sin so that we may do this. In closing today, I just want to encourage you and exhort you to be doers of the Word. Especially in context with my three topics today, prayer, evangelism, and discipleship. You may sit here today and say, I'm I'm doing pretty good at these things. Wonderful. Praise the Lord. We can always do better. You may be sitting here today and say, you know, I I tell people about the gospel. 
I'm being discipled, but my prayer life's struggling. Or maybe your prayer life's good, and you think, I've not shared the gospel in, like, ever. That's okay. I want to encourage you today. That's okay. You're not the only one here. You're not the only one with that thought. The devil's going to tell you you're the only one that ever has that thought. You're isolated. You're a freak. That's not true. If you're having that thought, it means the Holy Spirit is trying to awaken you to be a doer of the Word. As I stand here, I have, I have thoughts on my mind of lost people. That if we don't do these things, they're going to hell. Children, adults, that don't have exposure to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nobody can get it to them. They're restricted by governmental agencies, social structures. They can't hear the gospel. But yet we have it at our disposal to take beyond these doors so that people may be saved. There's na whole nations. Brad's in the Czech Republic in Prague this morning, this afternoon. Time changes. If you didn't know, as you travel across the world. Czech Republic is one of the least evangelical nations in the country. Roughly four million people. Maybe, maybe a couple thousand believers. How are they going to know Jesus if we leave it here inside these doors? We must be praying. We must send people to evangelize. We must be discipling each other so that we're more encouraged to go our own community. There's pockets all over this community. We don't have to go far to share the gospel with people that have no clue who Jesus is. They live down the street from you. They may even be your next-door neighbor. Oh, the challenge. Oh, the conviction. It's okay. It's what God's Word's meant to do. Maybe there's brothers that you know need discipling, need discipleship. Maybe you need discipling. Do the Word. Seek these people out. You have these thoughts. All these things I just mentioned, you have your own set of thoughts. And you may be like me. And you say, you know, within the doors of the church, within community groups, within Sunday school, I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. But outside in the world, I'm not sure I'm doing this. I'm not sure I'm doing what God's Word says. Let us not be that people. Let us not be the child that forgets after leaving the huddle. May we not be the man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. And as soon as he goes away, forgets what he looks like. But I promise you, church, there's a blessing here tied at the end of this, this passage. If we are doers who listen to God's word, eternity will be changed. Not just the here and now, but eternity will be changed. And it's my prayer this morning that we'll meditate on these things this week. Let us pray. Father, I'm thankful for your word. Lord, we are lost without it. Lord, there are believers here today that are such an encouragement, Lord. We have prayer warriors. We have people that love the gospel, communicate the gospel. We have great discipleship programs. People are being discipled and discipling, but Lord, we know we can continue to grow more like Christ. But Lord, I pray there may be others who don't, who are struggling with these things. Lord, I pray this passage this morning will speak into their heart and they will see that they simply have to obey. They have to have a passion for your word, a desire, an affection. And Lord, they will simply, on faith and through the power of your spirit, obey and go beyond these doors, Lord, 
and be energized for the work of Christ, Lord, so that others may come to know You, Lord, and so that Your name may be glorified. Lord, I pray for Brother Brad as he continues this conference halfway across the world. Lord, I pray You keep him safe and keep him healthy. You return him. Lord, I pray for Brother Matt as he returns home this weekend. Be with them, Lord. Keep them safe. Help them, Lord, to continue to encourage this church, Lord, to be leaders here inside these walls, but to be examples and encouragers to go beyond these walls. Lord, may we be a church that when the world looks upon us, they say they must belong to Christ because they sure are different than this world. 